November 1963, the first episode of Doctor Who was broadcast. Little did people know that on that evening, a television legend was born. And now, 50 years and 11 Doctors later, Doctor Who will celebrate its half-century in November 2013. And already, social media, bloggers, forums and podcasters have already begun those celebrations. But why has this show survived, and how has a little British sci-fi show about a man who travels through time and space in a battered blue police box, once famous for its wobbly sets, cheap special effects, and occasionally hammy acting, become the global sensation that it is today? In an occasional series of interviews, I'll be talking to fans, bloggers and podcasters, and try to find out what they love and hate about the show, what their favourite memories are, and ask why has this show about a madman in a box survived for so long. My guest this week is Paul Heath from The Mighty Pharos Project. Welcome to the show, Paul. Oh, thank you very much, Phil. Mighty Pharos Project. The Mighty Pharos Project, indeed. I, I think you overbill me there, sir. <laughs> No, if no one's listened to the Faust Project, please do so. It is an absolutely fantastic and very entertaining podcast. If you say so. I do indeed, I do indeed. Now, um, this is your first time on, on this uh, on this podcast, isn't it? I, I believe so, unless there's some sort of drunken night that I'm not aware of. I don't think so. I don't, if this is, I'm not aware of it either. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but um, usually I sort of like to kick off and ask you how they get into Doc 2. But I think there's... Um, I want to ask you one thing before we get on to onto that topic, and that is your, how can I put your love-hate relationship with what is t- you term as plastic tat? Yes. Yes. What is it about Doctor Who's plastic tat that fascinates you so? It's plastic tat. And if, <laughs> if, if, you're, if you're into science fiction and horror and that sort of, these sort of genres, yeah. when they release a piece of plastic tat, your first reaction is, oh, that's nice, I want it. Your second reaction is, that's really overpriced. I hate you. And then there's a, sort of like an internal battle that goes on over the next couple of days with you and your credit card and, and forbidden bastards in Total Bastards Planet, whether you're going to buy a said plastic tat. And then you invariably I end up buying it and I hate myself. So it's more of a self-loathing thing then? I think it's not so much the plastic tat I have a love-hate relationship with, it's myself and my bank balance. <laughs> well, obviously, because of like, the 50th anniversary, they've really sort of upped the ante on the amount of um, merchandise coming out now. Um, do you sort of think it's sort of reached a bit of a, um, an idea now, to be honest? Because it, they do seem to be sort of scraping the bottom of the barrel with, say, like the um, sonic screwdriver pizza cutter. I think they probably reached that about three years ago, to be honest with you, Phil. <laughs> yeah, some, yeah. some of the, the, the absolute tat you can buy now, like you say, the pizza car, which yeah. is just an it, abomination. It, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Absolutely ridiculous. But even like with, with the uh, 
old character options five inch figure range when they started doing like destroyed Cassandra, which was basically a plastic frame <laughs> for eight quid. Yeah. The worst thing is, I can look at it and think that's awful, that's terrible. Why on earth would you put that out? You're, you're charging eight quid for that. That's a bloody travesty. I'm going to buy it though. <laughs> is it just that thing that for completest sake now you sort of got that far with it? Not so much a completist sort of thing. It's, I think, the more kitsch, the more I want it now. <laughs> it's got to that point where it's so bad. I've got to have that. That's terrible. You know, so, that'll this will break the ice apart. He's look at this piece of plastic crap I got for eight quid. <laughs> is there anything you sort of will draw the line at? There's any is there any particular bit of tat that you've gone? I am not buying that, and you stuck to that decision. No, no, never. never. No. I, I've, I've always, on the podcast, as you know, we, we go through the plastic tat every week. Yep. And I, I've i been on rants plenty, but I nearly always end up buying stuff. <laughs> I mean, I've been I've been to Lakeland recently and bought a load of the Doctor Who bakeware. You didn't. I did. I'm never going to bake anything with it, <laughs> but I wanted it. <laughs> so you meant to say you've gone and bought the Dalek cake stand? I haven't got the Dalek cake stand. I want the gar- Dalek cake stand. The garlic cake the stand garlic. as well. <laughs> <laughs> the garlic Dalek, yeah. But you, the thing is, Phil, now here's a quick tip for you. Mm-hmm. You don't have to put cakes on it. True. You can put other stuff on that. You can put other little Daleks on it, and it makes the attractive table finish up thing. <laughs> As you say, great for breaking the ice at parties. It will be, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so what? I mean, is any sort of bit of tech you would like to see? Can't you think? Why have they not done this? Is any sort of they've missed a trick here? Uh, to be honest with you, I don't, I don't think they've missed any of the tricks. <laughs> um, if, there, if there's a trick they've missed, I probably don't want to know about it because that'll cost me a fortune. True. Very yeah. true. Because there's one thing I, I did sort of, there's been a couple of really expensive pieces of tap was the um, the Steve or Stife, whatever you pronounce it, um, t- Doctor Who, or was it Doctor Eleven teddy bear, wasn't it? Mm. Which is like 250 quid. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you had the um, the Tardis door for three hundred and fifty. Yeah, still nice though. <laughs> the thing, if I could afford it, I'd buy it, and that's yeah. the worst thing. It, I there should be actually a breathalyzer on on all sorts of internet communication <laughs> because the amount of times I've seen something come come up on eBay. eBay's a great place to buy a tat. Yes, it is, and. I'm all drunkenly thought, well, I'll be, I'll be um, 80 quid for that. I'll never get it. And then like, you, you wake up in the afternoon, you've got like, oh, Christ, I bought it. Oh, yeah, bugger. Yeah, so, and, you, and your bank balance has taken another massive hit. Yes. Yeah. Oh, dear. So your your house must be absolutely jammed, packed to the rafters. With... Uh, not, not so much. I, I tend to buy little tat. I mean, t- as, t- little t- as in, not in... Not in the amount of tat, as in the scale of the tat. Tiny tat. Yes, tiny tat. Tiny there tats, there you are. Um, which, which can be secluded in, in, in corners and uh-huh. hidden from um, certain people who may have a problem with my bank balance being a bit <laughs> more Yes, I know the feeling very, very well. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed, indeed. Well, um, so moving off from the, from the tat, then obviously um, what we've just been speaking about is Doctor Who tat. So what actually got you into Doctor Who in the first place? Oh, God. Um, I was forced into it, to be completely honest. Forced into it? That's the first forced time anyone's actually it, yeah. said that. <laughs> it's, um, it, was, wasn't, it wasn't like 
my mum held me at gunpoint and told me, you must watch Doctor Who. Hmm. Probably at Rusk point, if anything. <laughs> but um, my mum's a massive fan, always has been a massive fan of Doctor Who. Yeah. And because we were a single parent family, if she wanted to watch something, I had to be in the room. So I, I was plonked in front of Doctor Who mm. uh, from, I mean, I, I probably saw some of the Pertwee era. Not that I remember it, but I probably did. Yeah. And it was it was really all through my mum because she, I, I believe she's seen every episode right from the very beginning now. Wow. And uh, like she used to um, watch it with me and she used to buy the Target novelizations as well. Hmm with the pretense of buying them for me, but they were really for her. <laughs> uh, and I, I used to get read them at, at bedtime. Wow, that's a, that's a brilliant thing, actually. I wish I had that. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was bloody terrifying, some of it. <laughs> I, I distinctly remember the, the Deadly Assassin, the cover of the Deadly Assassin, mm-hmm. was terrifying because it had the, like, the, the old like, nasty master on the front of it. Yeah. And she was reading me that at the same time a, a movie called Creep Show came out. Yeah. Don't know if you know that. yeah. Yeah. Yes. No creep show. Yeah. And in creep show, there's a cartoon of like a, a, a skeleton in a robe that was very reminiscent of the master and deadly assassin, and it was depicted as floating outside a kid's bedroom window. Mm. And I'd watch that, and she's reading deadly assassin to me. She'd leave it on the on the bedside table, like cover up, thanks, <laughs> mum. So I can see it, and I'm looking out the window, thinking, "That's that thing from creep show. It's going to get me." And this, to this day, I will not sleep in a bedroom with the curtain windows, with the curtains open. <laughs> really? Really? Because I... it traumatised me. It absolutely traumatised me. So, but, was there anything in, that, in the actual show itself that traumatised you, or, or was it just that that, as you say, that that particular book cover and, and creep show that that got you? I think when I was young, it was probably the books that really scared me because I think the books were a bit more. It, because it was left so much up to your imagination as well, mm. and your imagination is far worse than a 1970s BBC budget can produce. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was really the books that got to me. Um, the show itself, I can only remember really becoming aware I was watching it towards the end of Tom Baker. I mean, this is after like Star Wars had hit, and I've yeah. been a massive fan of Star Wars. So I was in. I was getting into Doctor Who. I, I'd started to take take notice of what was going on, and like obviously Blake Seven was on as well, and I, I really didn't understand it, but I was enjoying it because it was in space. Hmm. And it was only, I think, the first real memory I've got of watching Doctor Who is the regeneration into Peter Davison that I can vividly remember sitting down and watching, and realizing I'm I'm not watching it for Mum now. You want, like, yes. So she can keep an eye on me. I'm watching it because I want to watch it. Yeah. And I think that that's sort of the point where I became a fan of Doctor Who. So you, would it be fair to say that, um, was it really Davison's your your doctor? Probably more so than Baker, yeah, because he, he, he was the one that, that drew me in. Be, yeah. Because, uh, obviously, we used to watch All Creatures Great and Small as well. Yeah. So I, I knew him as an actor from something else. Whereas Tom Baker was always the Doctor. Yeah. So, being as it was my first real regeneration as well, and having known the actor from somewhere else, it was it, I found it fascinating the way they did this change. And I, it, it, there's nothing else like it on TV, you know. And 
to have this guy, Tom Baker, teeth and curls, suddenly be bland, open-faced Peter Davis <laughs> was, was just utterly fascinating to me. And I was, I, I was hooked. I was going to say, because that, that is the, the one thing that people do say about Davison, that he was bland. Um, do, do you think that's a, a, a fair a fair thing to say about his, his portrayal of the Doctor? I don't think so. Um, I think he's different enough from Tom Baker to be noticeable. Whether he's bland or not, just being bland is different enough from Tom Baker to make you stand out from Tom Baker. Yeah. But I, I, don't, I don't agree that he's... he's, he's necessarily bland he's got some sort of he's got a definite charm to him sort of a, um public schoolboy charm to him if you know what i mean yeah he's, yeah i think it's, like, it's the whole cricket outfit of yeah, that off doesn't he, it so. he's definitely more prim and proper than tom i think but he's still i mean some of the stories he had as well were just fantastic because it, it started to get during the davison era before it got to colin baker when it really hit the violence. That was when it started to get a bit more, hang on, this has got a body count now, like the, uh, the Davison Dalek story. Oh, God, yeah. It famously got like a, a bigger uh, body count than Terminator, isn't it? I think it has indeed, yeah. yeah and that, that's one that really stuck in my memory. <laughs> that and uh, Earthshock as well. Earthshock, was, I absolutely adored. Yeah, I mean, everyone sort of brings it up as their sort of favourite uh, Davison story. I don't know if it's the fact that it's the sort of the first time that sort of like the side were brought back and they were actually made to be scary again mm. um, after a very long uh, absence, or the fact that it was just the that Adric got blasted to smithereens at the end. So. <laughs> I didn't have a problem with Adric when I was watching it originally. No, I didn't. I've got to be honest. Um, mm. I, th- I think it's one of those things in hindsight, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's like Sylvester McCoy it was crap when I was watching it, but now, yeah, he's all right. No, he's good. Yeah. So, um, what is it about that made you sort of keep watching? Obviously, you, you sort of hit on you sort of like Davison's portrayal, and some of the stories were great. But was anything else that sort of kept bringing you back week after week? And did you ever reach a point where you thought, like a lot of fans do, they sort of re- reach a point and they think, oh, "I'm not interested in Doctor Who anymore," and they, was, and they move on to something else? It, to be honest with you, for all of the, the Davison era, I was hooked completely. Mm. Uh, when you went into Colin Baker, I started to drift a little bit, but I still watched it because it was sort of um, it was it became a family tradition. Because even though they they shifted the the times around and all that, and it went yeah. midweek and all that sort of malarkey, it was Doctor Who's on. We're all going to sit and watch Doctor Who, especially because Mum was still watching it. She yeah. she wouldn't stop watching it for nothing. But I mean, um, by the time the series ended. It sort of ended as I was leaving school. So uh, as, as, the, as McCoy was the doctor, I was discovering the delights of alcohol and ladies. Yes. And when when you, you're getting into that, you, you can't, you're a teenager, you can't hold many things in your brain at the same time then. No, you can't. I can't, you can't. I can't be thinking about Doctor Who and where I'm going to get another drink from. I can't do it now and I'm 43, so... <laughs> <laughs> But I, I, I did, I must admit, I did drift away from it towards the end. I'd say the last two years, I probably didn't watch it every week. Yeah, but I, that, that, yeah. I don't think that was to, to do so much with the quality of the programme. Because uh, like the last series of McCoy, when I watch it now, is fantastic. But yeah, yeah. I, I think it was just sort of the age I was. And it, essentially, it, it, at that point, it still was more of a 
more more aimed towards children or advertised towards children anyway. Yeah. Rather than being like the family show that it is now. Yeah, I think that's the um, the thing. You, you see, it, it, I mean, Doctor Who is now so massively popular, and it sort of really has entered the the public consciousness on an international level, mm. rather than just a you know it was just a you know a little hokey little UK program. I mean, yeah. I mean, does that sort of surprise you at just how popular that show has become? I don't think no. I don't think it's surprising at all, especially with the, with the, the new series, because um, obviously nowadays there are a lot more opportunities for. BBC shows to be shown in America and in Canada, for instance. Yeah. And the premise of Doctor Who is so good. It's so it's it's the best, without a doubt, the best premise of a TV show ever. Yeah. Because it is it you you don't know what you're gonna get next week. You can be you can be in the Middle Ages one week and the next week you're in the year three blonkety donkety dot, you know, and <laughs> fighting off Zergons and, and what's it and it's just amazing the way so many shows are tie- get tied into their own mythos and they they get hogtied really they can't go too far in one direction too far in another direction with doctor who it can stick in, stick with its own mythos but that mythos is so broad mm. it can do whatever it wants and i think people are now picking up on the fact that it's such a great idea and it's such a, a fantastic thing where you can go wherever you like. You can change the lead actor, and it's the same character, and not have it be like Neighbours or nothing, where it, like someone goes into a coma and comes out twenty years older. Yeah, you know? yeah, <laughs> exactly. Kind of, yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> nothing's ever mentioned, but it, it's it's a great premise. It really is brilliant. So, is there, I mean, is there anything about Doctor that you sort of you don't like? Because a lot of people now. Um... I said, well, fans and fans of any show will always find something to pitch and whine about. Um, is there anything sort of, especially now, because people didn't like it when it came back in 2005, was the soap opera um, element to it? Um, I mean, did, did that, I mean, obviously that's what made it popular. Um, mm. You know, that, that was that was the trick and it was, it was the right thing to do. But even now, people still sort of rally against that. I mean, is there anything that you don't particularly like about the show, like, you know, then and um, and now? I don't think there's anything specific, to be honest with you. Um, like you say, the soap opera element that was introduced by Rusty yeah. when it came back in 2005, it had to have that. Yeah. To survive as, as a program, it had to have that. And it that's been steadily dialed down ever since. Uh, once it got it, it, its uh, viewing base, I think they've, they've toned that down a lot. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's any any specific thing in it I'm, I'm not happy with really because I, th- I think the point is if you don't like an episode next week it's going to be something completely different you might love that one yeah so there's, there's nothing really as, as a through I mean I've liked all the companions there hasn't been a companion I don't like so and, until they cast um, Bonnie Langford again <laughs> then, <laughs> then I'm happy well, actually, are you saying about companions? I know um, was it Freeman Agamon got a lot of flack mm. um, fr- from fans, and I think they were quite pleased she only lasted one series, uh, which I think personally think is rather unfair. I thought she was rather good. Do you think it's just that fact that Rose was such a popular character that it's because it wasn't Rose? And I think even now you still get there's still a little bit of that. It, I, I think so. I think I. I... 
there's one thing I don't understand is the popularity of Rose. Mm-hmm. Because to me, I mean, if you listen to my podcast, you know I have a problem with uh, the end of the Tenant era. Yeah, I think- the last the yeah. last few series of the Tenant era, it got so it started to disappear up its own bum slightly. If you know what I mean. Yeah, it's it. Rusty fell. I think he he fell in love with his version of the show more than trying to continue this old classic show that he loved. And I think it started to slowly creep up its own bum. And there I am with an endoscope trying to watch it on a Saturday night. <laughs> yeah, but, it, it was more about... Um, I mean, he was totally in love with the character of Rose, wasn't he? So And, and Tennant as well. I think he, yeah. he fell in love with the Tenth Doctor. And I, I think that that did take something away from the show. But even now, when I, when I go back and watch, even though I'm, I'm not fond of Tennant's portrayal towards the end, but The Lonely God, when that started coming in, yeah, it's when I thought, oh, hang on. Uh, you go back and watch it, and the one thing that Russell T. Davis was good at was, like, cliffhangers and getting people to watch the next one. Like, like the one, um, The End of the Star on Earth. Yes, the regeneration. That, that, I have that, that never wasn't. known. Yeah, I've never known people talk just in the street and in pubs and that. Well, that made that Doctor made, that so made the news. I remember that made the national news on, yeah. on after after the episode aired. It was I've never seen anything like it. That was that week in between that and Journey's End was incredible. Yeah, it, it, for, as a Doctor Who fan, it was like, hang on, this is really at the mainstream now, isn't it? Yeah, everyone was talking about it. I mean, it weren't a great episode or anything you know it was it was no great shakes as a story but i i really admire him for doing that for being able to pull the viewers in like that it was real event television wasn't Mm. it but getting back to rose i i think maybe people were slightly in love love with billy piper to be honest with you yeah yeah i i i'm kind of I'm, i'm i'm not kind of. I'm definitely in agreement with you. Actually, I, I do not get the fascination with that character at all. Mm. I really don't. And by the time I know they sort of built the character up um, as having too much of a good time in in the, the Intendant's first series, yeah, that it was all going to end in tears. Um, but I think come the end, I think everyone was quite glad she was gone. I mean, I certainly oh, yeah. was. But there was there's oh, still oh. that hardcore fan base for her there, even now. I, I definitely think they shouldn't have brought her back. Especially not as soon. If she hadn't have come back in Stolen Earth, Jolie's End, and, and they'd waited until the 50th, I would have been quite happy with that. Yeah. I think they, they brought her back too soon. They made it about her again. And it, no, 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 no. You shouldn't do that. It, no. should, it should never be about the companion. It should be about the Doctor, because the Doctor is the drive of the show. He's the main character. He's, he's, he's the one that we, I, I want to see every week. I want to see what he gets up to. I'm not really that bothered about the companions. They're just icing. Yeah, I think that was a lot of people's problems, and I think to a certain extent it probably still is, um, because that they the, the way the companions are used now is completely different, because now the companion it really is your window into the Doctor's world. Mm. And they're used as, a, as, that, as a vessel, basically, for the, for, the, for the viewers at home. Well, they, they always used to be just there for exposition. Yeah, and it worked. That worked perfectly well. And now they're they're there, uh, like you say, as the as the viewers in. So the, 
they're, they're your 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 view is through their eyes. Yeah. I think that that's not the fault of Doctor Who. I think that that's the way TV has gone in general. I think that a lot of, especially science fiction shows, do that, do that now. I mean, you look at the X-Files, and it was Scully was like the viewpoint from, for the X-Files. Hmm. So I, I think that that's, that's just a thing that, that happens in TV now because television is so global. Yes. As well. And, yes. you know, you've got things were going to syndication in X amount of countries. So you have to make it accessible for as many people as possible. So I think that's why companions are more prominent perhaps than they were in the past. As you've, you're saying about sort of making it more accessible to sort of like, you know, globally. Um, do you think it's sort of like a fair criticism that they people seem to think that the they're gearing the show towards North America all the time with all the, like the little um, iTunes extras and I mean the one that got everybody's knickers in a twist was the um, the, the Comic Con yeah trailer I, you know I, I don't think so to be honest with you I mean we get all that stuff eventually anyway yeah and and if it sells well in America and it sells well in Canada, then it's going to make make the show better. Yeah. The, the BBC are on their uppers. Let's, let's be frank about it. Exactly, they are, yeah. So if they're going to – they've got this show, their flagship show, and they're going to push it like no one's business in North America. And if that works in their favour and they can pour more money into the show – if they can now make 14 episodes a year rather than have to split it up for tax reasons, yeah. then fine. I'm Yeah, go ahead. Do whatever you like over there. I'm not bothered. No, I think that's the thing that sort of um, people forget, isn't it, that it's, it's an important part now is sort of you're, you're out in the marketplace. The BBC yeah. has to go out there now to, to generate mm. money you know, and, and interest in their shows, as you say, to, so they can continue making programmes. And I think you know that's the... To my mind, anyway, that's that's the thing people are getting on the wrong end of the stick on. As a, a classic series fan yourself, Phil, you, you, you'll know that we're always on edge. Yes. We're always like, it's going to be cancelled. It's yeah. going to be cancelled. Yeah. Go, yeah, BBC, go and publicise it. You know, get the word out there. As long as it stays off that cancellation for a little bit longer, I'm quite happy with that. That's it. Now, actually, sort of talk about the, um, the cancellation um, sort of in 89. Um, and then sort of like you know the, the the TV movie in '96. And you said that you sort of your first written to Doctor Who was with the Target books. Um, yeah. During sort of like the show when you know the show was off off the air, um, did you sort of continue with with that? Did you get into like the new adventures and and big finish and and things like that just to sort of satisfy your your Doctor Who thirst? I, I didn't really, to be honest with you. I didn't really pay any attention to Doctor Who at all. Hmm. After after it was cancelled, it wasn't until it was oh god, what is it was just before the TV movie, and unfortunately, my nan passed away. Yeah, and I was with my mum. You have to do that awful thing where you're clearing out someone's possessions. Yeah, and I remember I was fishing around in one of my nan's old wardrobes, and I pulled out this little red suitcase, and it was a red suitcase with cream piping. I still remember it. I thought, what the bloody hell's in here? When I've opened it up, my nan had saved every single issue of Doctor Who magazine I'd ever bought. Wow. So I had them right back from Tom Baker. <laughs> and 
so that I, I find that really touching. So I took them home and I, I started reading them again. Yeah. Um, that got me into buying some of the, the uh, videos that were out. Like specific like stories I remember. So it's mainly the, the Davison here I bought back again. Yeah. And I started to get into it then. Uh, then the TV movie came out. And so my interest dropped a bit. And <laughs> after, it, it, it wasn't really until, like, I carried on buying a few stories every so often, even though there was a stigma attached to that. Yeah. I, I remember that vividly. There was a girl that I fancied from school who worked in W.A. Smith's. And I, I used to think, I'm going to go and buy a Dr. Who VHS. And I used to have to wait until she wasn't on the counter to go and buy it because I didn't want to admit <laughs> that I was a Doctor Who fan of her. <laughs> it wasn't really until till they announced that they were going to make the new series uh, that I started really getting interested in it seriously again. Yeah. Um, then I did. I didn't do any of the new adventures or anything, but I did start listening to some of the Big Finishes then. What, what do you think of sort of Big Finishes' impact? Doctor, because they they really have sort of carried the torch for for classic Who for a good many years now. I mean, what, I mean, what what do you, how important do you rank them in in, in sort of like the, the grand scheme of things? To be honest with you, I, I I don't think they've affected the production of the show at all. I think the show would have come back anyway. Yeah, because fans are fans, and they they don't forget very easily. Even though I did. Um, however, they've, they've done. Some great work, especially with uh, Paul McGann. Yes. Because McGann got the short shrift. And actually Colin Baker as well, come to think of it. Because the Colin Baker audios have, have really seen him develop the character. And especially when they um, gave him the older companion, Evelyn. Yeah. Played off of each other so well. And I think, I don't think it, it's affected how the new series is made or how people perceive the new series. But I definitely think it's had a knockback effect on the classic series. I mean, I think Colin Baker is better regarded now through his big finish work than he ever was if it had just been the TV stuff. Yeah. Paul, Paul McGann has been able to actually make a character of his Doctor and carry on. Yeah. And, and McCoy as well. McCoy is, as, like I say, when McCoy was, I remember my mum coming home when they cast Sylvester McCoy hmm. and telling me, like, oh, Sylvester McCoy's going to be the new Doctor. And I was over the moon because I'd seen him in, like, uh, Jigsaw. Yes, The Omen. The yeah. Omen, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was a bit of a Sylvester McCoy fan. When he actually came on, it was just too clownish. Yeah. And I started to lose interest. If I'd have kept with it, then when Andrew Cartmel came into the fold, then I, I probably would have... Been, been more interested. But he's, retroactively, I think a lot of, through Big Finish, a lot of the classic Doctors have been re-evaluated. Yeah. I, I think that, especially, like I say, Colin Baker and Paul McGann, are, are hugely well-regarded now just because of Big Finish. Oh, for definite, for definite. I mean, they've actually been given some decent... Mm. Um, so, okay, they're not all... Big hitters, but you know they've given some decent stories to work yeah. with. Yeah, definitely. You know, so but um, moving on, sort of like big finishing. You sort of like talking about you. You got back in Doctor Who again when the show back in, came back in two thousand and five. Uh, I mean, just how sort of like worked up and excited 
were you, if if at all, that that the show was coming back, or was it just sort of like um, a case of oh, it's coming back, is it? Oh, well, you know, let's see, let's see what you can do. Was it was it a bit more like that rather than my God, Doctor Who's back? It it's going from the announcement onwards. I got progressively more excited uh, because, like I said, that was what got me into the big finishes. Yeah, thinking oh, it's coming back. Maybe I should. You know, I, I loved this show as a kid. Maybe I should, I should look into a, other avenues of, of, of Doctor Who. Yeah. In, in preparation for the for the the, the big comeback, um, I got pro- progressively more excited, and I remember remember the night uh, Rose was on. Yeah. And I I was so annoyed. I was living in this crummy little flat, and the guy you won't believe this. My landlord, mm. he. <laughs> He was parking um, salvage cars in my back garden. What? And there was this massive truck there parking all these salvage cars because he said, me, you don't mind, do you? And I was getting really annoyed because it was getting closer to the time it was going to be on. And this truck was still bloody there making a hell of a lot of noise. Yeah. And incidentally, <laughs> the guy's name, seriously, my landlord's name was Mr. Khaled. <laughs> I, I do not kid you. <laughs> But <laughs> I remember about 10 minutes before it came on, this truck buggered off. And I remember thinking, oh, well, yes, of course, he's gone home to see Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, Rose came on. I, it didn't immediately grab me. No. Because Rose was very much about the companion. It and was. It, it, it gets you off. It, it's off. If if you're thinking about you know, the shows about Doctor Who, it, it gets you off on the wrong foot anyway because it's actually called Rose. Yeah. You know. I, it wasn't until I think Dalek was when I thought, right, they're onto something here. Yeah. They're, they're, they've got this. Oh, and to a certain extent, uh, The Unquiet Dead as well. I which, know, I it, love which that. Is a great story. Yeah. Yeah. But Dalek was the one where I thought, right, okay, this this is. This is a continuation. This this isn't just the BBC milking the old Doctor Who cow for all it's worth. No, no, no. This is this is this, they're serious about this. This is going to be good. So um, now Matt Smith's going mm. as, as well. I mean, I mean, and we're back to having like an older actor um, cast in the role. Um, I mean, how much do you think this is going to affect the show and also affect its viewing audience? Because obviously, there, there's been a lot of. Um, Vocality about um, his casting. Mm. So he's too old for the role. Um, what's your take on it? Do you agree, disagree? I think that there probably is a certain amount of people who were more into the actor than the show. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, fair play to him. If they're discovering Doctor Who that way, there's nothing wrong with that at all. No, exactly, exactly. And we're happy for the viewers. Cheers. Yeah. Um, but I think possibly it might impact with that sort of demographic that it is an older actor taking over. But hope, I, I think hopefully everyone will be sensible enough to give him a chance. Yeah. And I think I think Capaldi's going to going to be great. I, he's he's a really good actor. Yep. And he's a fan and. So that's all you can really want from a casting, isn't it? Really, a, exactly. a really solid actor. I mean, as you said, you know that 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 demographic might leave the show, but it, I mean, hopefully, it will introduce a new demographic. I think. I, I think. Show, you know, 
especially a lot of the people. There are people who don't like the new series. Oh, for definite. Um, yeah. You know, you have to look at you know sort of certain forums to to exactly. see that, to see that going under under your nose. You know, so. Yeah. so hopefully we might gain those back. You know? <laughs> so I, I, it doesn't really bother. I'm I'm not the sort of person who's bothered about the next Doctor, the, the gender, the ethnicity, ethnicity, or or the age of the person who's cast, as long as it's a bloody good actor. Yeah, and that's what they've done. So I'm quite happy. Oh yeah. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people are actually, and I think mm. it's. Uh, I think just think that the show goes from strength to strength um, with Peter Capaldi in the role. I really do because I think I, he's, I, I think I it's think a great choice. He's got he's got some big boots to fill because I think Matt Smith has been a revelation. I think he's he's. I would say he's probably the best actor that we've had as a doctor. Yes, he is. He is. Right? He's, he's just one of. But he's going to have a massive career now. And that's going to play dividends as well because the more fame that Matt Smith gains, the more fans he's going to get who are going to look back. Well, what was he doing some like years ago? Oh, he yeah. did this little series. I'll, I'll buy the DVDs. And more people get interested then. So yeah, yeah. I, you you mentioned about him sort of. You think he's going to have a great career, but everyone thought the same of Tennant. And Master, he's had mixed fortunes, hasn't he? Well, he's had, yeah. You say he's had mixed fortunes. He's always working. He's always working, but he, he sort of um, he was sort of tipped for that big Hollywood career. That, I mean, all actors are, aren't they? They sort of, they go off to Hollywood mm. to you know to seek their fortune. Um, and I know Matt Swift just done that film. Um, what's it called? Bully. Is it Bully? Is that what it's called? No, his character's Bully, uh, isn't it? Uh, what's yeah, it called? How to Catch a Monster. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, I mean, David Tennant went to do was it um, was it Rex's Not Your Lawyer. Oh yeah, a pilot that... which which never caught on. Then he was in Fright Night, yeah, uh, and then St. Trinian's Two, mm-hmm. and a couple of other sort of like British rom com films. So it hasn't. I think I could put it without saying too disparaging. He hasn't exactly set the world alight. No, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> put it mildly. Really. Yeah. <laughs> so do you I, think? I, do you think the same fate is in store for Matt Smith? No, no, I don't think so. I personally think Matt Smith is a, is a better actor than David Tennant, uh-huh. and that's that's not like knocking Tennant at all because Tennant is a good actor. But yeah. I think Matt Smith is a great actor, and he may yeah he may not be like the next Brad Pitt or anything like that, but he'll definitely get roles that will get him noticed. Yeah, and he he will definitely work in in Hollywood. I think. Whereas uh, David Tennant, I think. I'm not sure if it's out of choice, really, because there's surely he could get he could get lots of roles in Hollywood, like without too much of a problem. Probably, but it, it depends what kind of role he's being offered, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think I think he's comfortable where he is. I mean, he likes working in the theatre as well. He likes working on stage. Yes, he does, and yeah. he, he's done a yeah. fair amount of that as well. He's done a lot of Shakespeare, um, and the series that he has done. I mean, especially Broadchurch. Which is, is is on in America at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, and that that's a big series. So I mean, he's not been unsuccessful at all, really. No, I think he's probably his strengths lie. Um, oh, that's on the I, telly. I, on the telly, <laughs> they do. Yeah, he's. I mean, some actors are. Some actors are just TV actors. They're not movie actors. Well, that, in this day and age, that's not not necessarily a bad thing. No, because television is is the quality of it is is. Fast, 
vastly the same as, as uh, film now. That's yes. why you're getting so many film actors working in TV. Yeah, that's right. Because the exposure is fantastic and the money's not bad either. No, I mean, it's sort of like you know Kevin Spacey doing House of Cards on Netflix for Christ's sake. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, um, yeah. So yeah, it's the whole the whole thing is just sort of it's completely changed around now. You know, movie actors willing to work on television, um, and not, I'm not saying working on television because their careers have. I know we're going off topic of Doctor Who, here, but it's the fact that um, it's not as if their careers have died in the cinema. It's just there's there's probably more interesting things happening on television yeah. for them to work well, in. To be honest, that's the way it used to be. Yeah. If if your you, your career dropped off in the in in films, then you'd go to TV. Exactly. But like you're saying now, it's that's not the case at all. Nah. So I hope that the same doesn't happen to Matt Smith as well. I really hope it doesn't. No, it'll it, it, be gigantic. I that, that's fingers crossed for the bloke. Fingers crossed yeah. for him. Now, so my final um, final question, really. Um, obviously, this show came out in two thousand and five, and. Um, you started the Farrow's Project podcast. Now, as I saw that sort of the podcasters I've sort of spoken to so far, how did the podcasting come about? Um, God, right? Was was it was this one drunken evening by any chance? <laughs> it, it may have been. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we, we we've been asked this question a few times, and I've got a standard answer that I usually trot out, which right. is that we were in um, the Fitzroy Tavern, which is the the first Thursday every month. Yep. Big Doctor Who meetup, and we did it because we were the only people in there who weren't podcasters. <laughs> right, okay, that's actually bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here comes the truth. It's an exclusive, folks. <laughs> uh, the person most directly responsible is uh, another one of your um, your victims, uh, Mr. Chris Burgess. Okay, yes. Uh, when, when Chris from Radio Free Scar, obviously, when Chris was living over here. Uh, we sort of befriended him, and we were hanging around. And I didn't really listen to many podcasts. I think I listened to uh, a couple of Who casts and a couple of Pod Shops or something like. That. Yeah. I certainly never listened to Radio Free Scar. So okay. it wasn't until I'd known him for like six or seven months that I found out he did this podcast. Yeah. And he started talking about it, and it basically sounded like a hell of a lot of fun. And so <laughs> it was when he, he went back to Canada. Uh, we decided that maybe we should start a podcast. If he can do it, I mean, I've heard Radio Free Scar. I'm sure we can do that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, was, it was more or less a way of kind of communicating. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Or maybe we can get Chris on. Or maybe, maybe we can get in touch with Stephen and Warren and all that. And yeah. It, it was... It wasn't to fit in, it was to sort of maintain some sort of link to the Doctor Who fandom, yeah. which we'd got into and, and found such a lovely place. And I don't know, it, it's just one of them things, you know, you just decide, it was a drunken night out, yes, of it. So was it one of those things you sort of intended to, to continue as long as it has done? Because how many, how many years you've been podcasting now? Oh, crikey. We're about three and a half now. Three and a half now. So yeah. did you ever intend it to, to go on that long? Did you even think it would go on that long? Oh, God, no. We didn't think it'd last this long. <laughs> uh, it's it, The thing is, it, it's it's so much fun. Yeah. And it, it's a great laugh. I'm, I, I, all I do is I basically sit around with two of my best mates yeah. and chat about uh, Doctor Who or a movie. 
there's no real effort involved in it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, I mean, as you say, you chat about a movie, you chat about all sorts of things on, on the Ferris Project now. It's not mm. uh, um, sort of just, just purely Doctor Who on there now. Mm. Um, did you sort of like go on to the other, other topics just to sort of, so, so you could just get like a weekly podcast um, going out or just the fact, you know, there, there's more to life than Doctor Who? Uh, probably there's more to life than Doctor Who. I mean, we all like different things. Like we all like things, different like aspects of, of science fiction, of horror. I mean, these are all things that are involved in Doctor Who. Gosh, yeah. yeah. And I think we did, we did one movie one week and we loved doing it so much. And the thing is that it's kind of, when you do a podcast that's got Doctor Who at the front of it, yeah. even though you're going to a certain audience, if you do something else, there's there's kind of a, a bit of a more justification for you doing all the research and finding out all these fascinating facts about a movie. Yeah. Because when you're doing it to a doc, Doctor Who audience, nine times out of ten, any you can't say anything that these people won't already know. True. Very or you true. can give us your view on something, on an episode. Yeah. So when you do a movie, it might be something that, like we've done some really obscure movies, and you kind of think, like, I'll, I'll do this research. I'll spend hours researching a movie every week. Mm. And it, it just, it, it, it's kind of the gratification of knowing that you might be telling people something that actually they didn't know about this, and they might be interested in this, and it might get them to watch something that they've never seen before. Yeah. Whereas with Doctor Who, you're preaching to the converted. Well, that that is exactly true. Actually, to mm. be honest, that is exactly true because, as you say, <laughs> classic fans, well, classic Who fans, will know the show inside out. Yeah, you know. So, and and you've got people like yourself and people like Radio Free Scarrow who do it so much better than us. So there's no real bloody point. <laughs> <laughs> well, I must admit, I, I I very much enjoy your podcast. I think it's a, an entertaining. Sometimes hour and hour, sometimes a couple of hours a week. Oh uh, yes, yeah. So we get uh, carried away. Oh yeah. So no, I I really do enjoy listening to you. So and uh, may you may you continue. So oh, thank you, sir. No problem. Well, Paul, um, I would say is thank you so much for uh, joining me this evening. Oh, thank you for having me, mate. It's been, it's absolute, been an absolute pleasure. Uh, pleasure's all mine, mate. Pleasure's all mine. Thanks very much. Thank you, Phil. Well, that was the last in this series of interview specials to celebrate fifty years of Doctor Who. I would like to thank all of my guests in all of appearance, Lisa Hazel-Greaves, Graham Benson, Ian Todd, Chris Burgess, Annie Fairfall, Stephen Chapansky, Derek Gladue, Warren Fry, James Rockcliffe and Paul Heath for sharing their experiences of how the Doctor's woven himself into their lives. And I hope everyone at home has enjoyed listening and here's to the next 50 years of this wonderful show inspiring the next generation of fans, bloggers and podcasters. <laughs> Listening to the Who's He podcast. Please visit our website at who's-he-podcast.co.uk. You can also follow us on Twitter at who's underscore he underscore podcast. And please also join the Who's He podcast Facebook group. The Who's He podcast is a member of the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance.